All right, I'm officially wrecked and raw, so we'll see where this goes. What time, what time is it? It's noon, all right. Woo! I, I literally feel so like, you know when you feel like so raw and exposed before the Lord, but it like hurts so good? That's where I'm at, I'm there. He's doing that, that, that good, good, deep work. Come on, Lord. <sighs> Can you guys stand up with me? If I, if I fall on the ground, just leave me there. some word together. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see where this goes, guys. All right, it should be on the screen from Romans 8. We've been in the, if you're new, hi, welcome, my name is Tommy, I pastor here. And um, God is real, if you didn't know, he's so good. And we just want you to engage with the living God and let him let him move through you. We've been talking about this theme in Romans 8 of life in the Spirit. Our, our, we're not just labeling ourselves as Christians. We are little Christs. We are little anointed ones that, that the Lord has chosen to make his sons and his daughters. And he, when we give our yes by grace to Jesus, he fills our lives. And it's Jesus living in us and through us. And that's the theme of our lives. And we're learning how to become more and more like Jesus is the Spirit's powers activated in us. So that's where we're at, a little catch up, Romans 8. Let's read together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You guys can take a seat. These scriptures are loaded. I got 28 minutes, really. Okay. Uh, all right. I want you guys to journey with me. I'm 37 years old. Journey with me, little Tommy in second grade. Think about the good times. What were the good times for you? What were the, the easier, simpler times? For me, it was back to the 90s. And I was thinking about how easy it was. Hanson's Mbop was on the radio. Maybe you'd roll down the windows and sing out Wonderwall. We could do it right now. We got a request. There wasn't social media yet. You had to have real friends. All you had to worry about was feeding your gigapet and maybe adding to your Beanie Baby collection. They were hard times in the 90s. We were still riding the wave of the economic 80s, and it was a good time. It was a good time. Before 9-11, whether you know this or not, because I talked with a few people that were born in, in 2001 this week, made me feel real old. Before 9-11, before 9-11, you could walk to the gate and greet your guests as they exited the airplane. You could leave your shoes on. Simpler days. Simpler days. No one had been going to war for a while. 
You could play Davy Crockett in the woods for hours and feel safe. But now, now, it doesn't feel so simple, does it? We're in these culture wars. People are being canceled. There's like week by week almost, it feels like there's, there's new definitions of things and, and we're, we're figuring out how to live this life. There's still, how is Russia still attacking on other countries? I don't know, but it's happening. And there's, there's plenty for us to be concerned about. We, did you know that each and every one of us are actually living with compassion fatigue because we have so much access to news all the time? So everything that's happening, we're inundated with bad information over and over again. And we actually are living with a degree of trauma and compassion fatigue ourselves. And so if there's a need for a message on hope, it would be today. And so that's what I want to preach on today. Hope rising, trusting God when you can't see. What is hope? Some of you hear the word hope and you're, you're thinking back to your Aunt Judith's sparkly pillow that sits on her sofa. Hope. Right next to the pillow of faith and love. And some of you are thinking about Joanna Gaines' farmhouse style and how hope rests above the mantle. Well, that is hope, but probably not biblical hope. And that's what we're venturing into today. Real hope. Biblically speaking, hope is the confident expectation for better days ahead. It's the confident expectation of what God has promised and the strengthening in his faithfulness for the future. And if you're thinking about your future and you think to yourself, things are just getting worse. I can only see harder days ahead. All of the best memories are now gone then you've completely disengaged from the realm of the spirit where God gives hope. And it's been said that if you've lost hope, you've lost everything. And so this is a massive deal for us to regain and rediscover and re-engage with the hope of God that John 10, 10, abundant life in Jesus is hope. Hope is your birthright as a child of God. And so we're going to go after this in Romans chapter 8, which is a chapter all about true change, true transformation that comes by life in the Spirit. So before we get into what hope is, let's look at what hope is not. Hope is not the sparkly pillow, but I've got three things that hope is not. And, And the reason I want to address this is because sadly, the word hope has been watered down so much. So some of you hear the word hope and you're already rolling your eyes. Like this pastor is going to give another encouragement about hope that's touching. Three things hope is not. It's not positive mental attitude. Yeah, I just need to believe in more acting roles to come my way. I need to manifest those for my future with my positive vibes, bro. You know, I just need to be positive with my mid-level marketing job. I've been, I've been too negative in my thinking, and I haven't reached platinum-level status yet. You know, my, my gas and my home was shut off. It got really expensive last month, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking positive. It's been, it's been cold at night, but I heard in Norway they leave babies outside in the cold, and it's good for their respiratory systems. So I'm just looking at the positive. All right, positive mental attitude, that's not hope. Number two, hope is not wishful thinking. One day I'll finally make it as a star. Keep your dreams alive. And we hear all sorts of motivational talks. We just saw the Oscars. You might have shed a tear because some of you are like, I do need to keep my hopes alive. And actually you do, please do actually. And I'm I'm poking fun, I'm having a good time up here, but that's not really the biblical definition of hope either. Number three, hope isn't escapism. You know, I'm a little worn out. I think retreating to the suburbs of Nashville sounds like a real good idea. Wide open spaces, easy, away from stress, away from my problems, away from my family. Nashville. I forgive Nashville. You took half our people last year. 
I'm a little bitter still. We're working on it. You know, escapism. I, I, I think I'm just going to move to Bali. You know, there's just too many complexities here. I'm just going to shut it all off, move to Bali, surf a little. Escapism. And listen, that might be exactly what you're supposed to do, but you got to know by the Spirit if it's escapism or where He's calling you. And I, I know I'm being kind of dumb here, but here's the deal. All of us are going through tough times where we're all going to go through seasons where there's moments where we feel like God isn't talking, where he's silent, where it's really, really hard, when it feels like he's not hearing you or answering you. So we have to know what to do and how to be when those seasons come. And the truth of life in the spirit is that we don't place our hope in our close friends. We don't place our hope in our family. We don't place our, our hope in our husband or our wife or our children. We are meant to place our hope in the living, resurrected God himself. As children of God who walk by the spirit, we have the honor of placing our hope in God who is infinitely loving, infinitely knowing, infinitely caring, who is intricately involved and in every detail woven into our lives and is working all things together for his good and for my good. And so we're going to go back here to Romans chapter eight and look at four keys of hope rising in your life. Are you ready? Number one, hope requires eternal perspective. Verse 18. If you're struggling with any form of depression or heaviness, if you've lost hope in any area of your life, if you can't see the better days ahead, you've actually lost an eternal perspective. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, what I'm in right now, the struggles, the difficulty, the things that I can't get out of, the things that, are, that I feel trapped in, when I look at that, it's not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And when, it, when, he's, when Paul's talking about for I consider, it means to press down my mind upon. This is not just a little, yeah, I'll consider it. I'll think about it for a second. This is, this is obsessing yourself to press down upon a thing. It can be translated, I am firmly convinced I'm living my life on this truth. This is foundational for me. This is one of my pillars and my conviction. This is my conviction that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. The language refers to put it on the scales and weigh it up. Not worth comparing. When you're looking at the Greek, it's like looking at a scale and you're looking at your temporary things in life that feel so heavy. I'm, I'm stuck here. I'm stuck in my job. I'm a little depressed. My friends are leaving me. I'm single. It weighs down more and more. And Paul's saying, consider this. Put it on the scale. Can you think for a moment about eternity again? Because the moment that you put eternity and heaven on the scales, immediately it's not even worth comparing to all of that on that side. It's not even worth considering it. The language is so strong. The language is so strong. Don't even consider these things in comparison to the glory and the goodness of eternity. We have to have a perspective of eternity to live with hope. At the exact same time, we got, we got to be thinking about what suffering is. In charismatic culture, we don't know what to do with suffering. We're like, laugh it off. It's okay. Your dad died. Let's laugh about it. You're going to get through it. We, we are very uncomfortable with suffering. Very uncomfortable with suffering. If it's suffering like martyrs, we're like, that's great. High five. <laughs> that was a little insensitive. Apologies. High five for the martyrs. I don't know. But we, 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 we know for a second that, that, that martyrs, that's suffering. That's good. But when it comes to sufferings in our life, God paid for all of the sufferings. Okay, there's partial truth to that, but we have to weigh that intention. And we can't just flippantly think about suffering as a theology and write it off or shove it under the rug. Because we, we grapple with things like Job and we don't know what to do with it. And so we say big statements like, Job was the question, Jesus is the answer. Cool, let's move on with life. You know what I mean? 
And there's partial truth to that. But what do we do with suffering? Suffering is a result of sin, and it's a result of being in this fallen world. Suffering can come from our own decisions that we have made. Did you know that you can put yourself into suffering? Any sinful choices you make, you're getting off the path of life and you will suffer because it's the path of death. You got to get back into alignment. Suffering comes from our own decisions or those around us, the decisions they're making. Sin in the lives of people around us can really bring suffering in our lives. Think about prodigal children. Think about abusive fathers and mothers. Whatever it is, it's the sin of those individuals that are causing suffering in our lives. And so um, it comes from our own decisions, other people's decisions, or it can come from being in a fallen world. Suffering can come from um, someone that you love has cancer and they end up dying and you're, you're praying for a healing miracle, but for whatever reason, they end up dying. That brings a degree of suffering in your life and grief that you have to sort through and sift through. It's part of being in this fallen world. And we're going to get to a moment about the kingdom now and not yet and the kingdom of God advancing. But in the middle of that tension, we are going through pain and grief in the middle of it. At the same time, all of that suffering, God is the best recycler of all time. So no matter what you're going through, no matter the pain and the grief and the suffering that you are currently going through or have gone through, God will turn it all around for your good. He is that good. He also will use that exact same suffering to transform our character, work it within us if we allow him to. As, as we're in that place of suffering, if we choose time and time, again, to not build walls, not reject the hand of God, but to actually open up to the compassion of God that is, is the one that wants to be there in our grief with us. That is the very place that he will form us more and more into the image of Jesus in our lives. And as a result, it's the glory of God that radiates in our lives and through our lives. So whatever you're going through, there is a promise that God will turn it all around and make all things new. He will recycle the pain and use it as a target against the enemy in your life. Someone has said about the glory of God, as wet is to water, as light is to sun, as heat is to flame, glory is to God. Verse 18. When I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. One day, this glory will be our absolute full experience. It's going to be our reality of God with us. And so Paul here is, is stating strongly that the current sufferings and hardships that we're all going through, if we put that on the scales of eternity and get that perspective, when we compare and we consider it and we press our mind into it, this present suffering is not even worthy to be compared to eternity in heaven. This is called perspective. And, and my, my cry is, God, would you help us get out of this obsession of our own current mess that we're in? The thing that's right in front of us that consumes literally our energy, our focus, we have to get out of the temporary and get onto a place of eternity. That's the prayer. There's a pastor named Chuck Swindoll. Some of you have heard of him. And he says that every sermon is taking people on a journey on top of Mount Perspective. Every sermon that he preaches, he's like, come with me on this journey. We're going up on top of the mountain to get perspective because we are sheep who get stuck in our own mess. And we need to be reminded day after day, mount perspective, bigger picture. You will get through this. And the way you're going to get through this is seeing from above. Every time we're intentional with God, isn't that what happens? Every time we spend time in the word, every time we get into rich prayer, every time we seek God and seek the kingdom of God, we come back up here, come back up to the mountain. Let him give you a bigger picture. 
give you vision because without vision, you will perish. But with vision and with perspective, you will have purpose and you'll have hope. If we're just trying to get hope activated in the very one thing, the mess in front of you, if you're like, I just need hope for this thing though. I know you're talking about the mountaintop. I'm just trying to pay my bills right now. I'm just, this one relationship, I'm just trying to get some hope in it. This marriage right now, I just need some hope right here. But if you obsess with just the hope for your situation, I gotta say it's almost impossible to do it on your own there. Because we have to get out of the temporary and onto the eternal to really experience hope. Even gathering here this morning, you know, we've got a few hundred people in the room, okay? Why are we taking time out on a Sunday morning to be here? Why did I take time to prepare a message, to give my life, to be here, to preach on a Sunday morning? I could be over on Melrose having a nice brunch, (laughs) sipping a mimosa, but I chose to be here today. I chose not to partner with my wants. I love brunch. Who doesn't love a good mimosa? But my eyes are on eternal things. My eyes are on eternal things. The reason we're gathered here today is because you even have some sense of a bigger picture for eternity. The decision to be here today is investing in your time week after week, and it makes total sense because you are carving forth a path into the promised land. Your everyday small decisions carve a path into the promise. Did you know that? Your everyday small decisions are removing what's in front of you so that you can step further into what you were called to be. So the next time you're facing something, Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I call this person? Should I not call this person? Should I react this way? Should I not react this way? Your small everyday decisions are either moving you forward in the path of your destiny or you're getting off track. And when you get off track, we talked about it last week, the person of the Holy Spirit is grieved. He's grieved because he's a person and he's like, my son, what are you doing? You're aching my heart. Come back, come back. And we quench the Holy Spirit. We put that where the river of life comes from the throne of God into your life, you are literally damming it up when you choose not to do what he's asking you to do. Grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we're not gonna be about that. We're gonna let his presence flow, his power to flow. We're gonna stay connected because we don't wanna grieve his heart. And so it's less about us and our wants and our temporary and our, what we're fixed on. We're getting our eyes on heavenly things and we're gonna do brunch another day or later in the day or you're gonna go to after church lunch and enjoy that because community is powerful too. And we get to set our minds and our hearts on eternal things. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the point of perspective. Step back, put it on the scales. Your hope's fading. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for perspective. Number one, requires eternal perspective. Number two, hope is based on God's promises. Verse 19 through 23. For the creation waits with an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Some of you are like, that is an odd verse. Creation is waiting for the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That is a mouthful. I'm not quite sure what that means. Well, pastor's going to help you out today. Okay. Creation here is not angels. It's not men and women. It's literally nature. Plants, animals, rocks, birds, creation. And creation, nature, is eagerly longing. It's language of a head that is stretching out and cannot wait to see the exact moment. That's what the language means. Eager longing, reaching out its head to see the exact moment. Several weeks ago, a few of us went to greet Kamva at the airport, and he knew that I was picking him up, but he didn't know that others would be there. 
though he may have suspected. And as at the airport, you know, I'm waiting to see this gentleman come down the escalator and the friends are hiding to the side and everyone has their heads reaching out with eager longing and expectation for the exact moment we see some cool shoes descend on the escalator and then maybe a, a, nice, a nice pearl necklace. We don't know what he's wearing. Oh, it's Kamva. It's Kamva, everyone. And then we surprise him. Eager longing. Where did the, where did the verse go? Eager longing for the revealing of Kamva. Creation is waiting like that, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. We are the sons of God. And all of creation is longing with eager expectation to say, are they going to realize who they are in Christ? Are they going to have a revelation of who they really are in Christ? Or are they going to sit back shackled and in shame and dislocated for the rest of their time until the next generation comes that has a revealing of who they actually are in Christ. All of creation is longing to see us arise as men and women who know who we are. Aching for it. We look at creation and we, we can actually see the beauty of God. In fact, it's called, it's called natural revelation. You look at creation and there's, you almost can look at creation and you're like, there's got to be a God. That's what natural revelation means. And we look at the beauty of creation. But did you know that in this current state where Jesus has not yet come back, we are looking at a sin-filled, muted version of creation and the glory of God being expressed. All of creation is waiting with eager anticipation for the coming glory of Jesus so that all of the glory of God can be fully realized and they can be shouting out the praise of their creator. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The coming joy of having a baby born is what gets you through the purpose and pain of childbirth. Parents know how tough it's gonna be. I can't speak on behalf of women, but women know that it's all worth it compared to the new life that is coming. And that's how creation's handling this. Creation is groaning for this new life to be realized. Verse 23, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In our relationship with God, there's gonna be countless times where we are inwardly groaning. Did you know that's actually part of following God? An inward groaning. Ah, I have to deal with this heavy situation again. Ah, I have to be faithful to this job that I feel like God has called me to right now. Ah, I'm so frustrated with this relationship, but I know the right thing to do is to make peace. Ah, I'm still facing this pattern in my life. When will this be gone? Ah, I have to do what God has called me to do, even when it's exhausting. I can't run away from this, or at least I shouldn't. I feel disqualified. Another thing I have to surrender to God. Dang it, I actually need to forgive another family member for this hurtful thing. Why did you have to highlight that, God? The inner groanings, the difficult things that fill our lives as we try to follow Christ. There is a groaning in that. But here's the thing. With all of the groaning, every single time that I have felt a deep ache and discomfort, I wish I could go back in time and tell myself, the groaning is part of the hope. The groaning is part of the hope. They're connected. It's actually good that he's groaning in you. You don't have to stop it. 
And there's something that's been falsely taught in Christian circles that God will get you to a place of groan-free days. I, I, please give me a scripture on that. Please. Because there's not. God is not guaranteeing groan-free days here on earth. Eternity? Absolutely. No more tears, except maybe you're crying from laughter. But the groaning is all part of the kingdom. It's the now and not yet kingdom of God. Jesus has come and he will come again. The kingdom is here, but it's not here in all of its fullness. We are aching for the fullness of the kingdom of God. You are born and wired to be aching and groaning for the fullness of the kingdom of God. And we are lovesick. We are lovesick for the fullness of Jesus and the fullness of our true identity as adopted sons. And so day by day, we're seeing glimpses. We're seeing these glimpses of the kingdom of God. Jesus came and he gave big glimpses of the kingdom of God. And we're seeing it in our lives. We're seeing it where people are set free, where they're healed, where they're saved, where they're enriched, where they're coming into their identity. These are glimpses of the kingdom of God. And somewhere in church culture, we have made this kingdom now and not yet theology like, like it's some sort of, well, one day we'll see someone healed. One day we'll see them free. One day they'll start to live in their identity. But they have completely emasculated the power of God to see the kingdom here and now as well. And so we have to live in that tension of seeing heaven come to earth, touch lives, see freedom, see breakthrough, see healing, but also knowing that there's a groaning for what is coming in the future. The point isn't to stop groaning. The point is to start recognizing that the growing is the birthing of what we hoped for. So we're groaning for the full expression of this intimacy that we have with Jesus. We're groaning to see ourselves in our truest identity as sons and daughters. And one day you'll see the fullness of that. Hallelujah. And number two, we groan in our physical bodies. The easiest way to think about that is, is physical sickness, isn't it? Our bodies wear out over time. My, my cousin's wife's dad up in San Jose just passed away from ALS in the fall. And this is something he had been battling for years. ALS is, is literally the most demonic sickness because you're, you're all there in your mind, but your body just becomes a corpse. And you're just laying there, and by the end, he couldn't even blink. So you're feeling the, the pain in your own eyes from not being able to blink, and you're all there, but your body's gone. Can you, can you imagine being trapped in your own body? Do you think there wasn't a groaning in our family for the kingdom of God to be expressed for this man. A groaning, God, we know what you can do. We've seen it before. God, we know that you are a miracle worker. I've seen so many people healed through my hands. Praise God. Can this man be healed through this right now? What is, what, you know, you're, you're going nuts in your brain. Like, do we, need to, do we need to deal with soul ties? Do we need to deal with these inner healing things? Do we need to do with, we'll do whatever it takes to get this man healed. But ultimately, what we're getting down to is a groaning within us to see the kingdom of God established in this man's life and to see him set free from the shackles of sin and death. Praise God in the early stages of this sickness, he gave his life to Jesus. Praise God. So he is now free in heaven. He is free in heaven. And so we have that eternal hope. Can you imagine if we didn't have that eternal hope? And, and this isn't just frosting, frosting in our lives like, you know, another angel's getting his wings in heaven. Oh, we believe in heaven because it feels good. This is the reality of our lives. That we can have this anchoring of faith. My, my own mom, who you guys have seen several times, has been battling Lyme disease for years. And um, it's, it's a horrible sickness. I mean, she looks healthy, but inside she's exhausted and back pain and all sorts of things. And it's, it's transitioned into this thing where um, it's an autoimmune disease as well, where, where mold is attacking and 
<clears throat> where mold is attacking and she's sensitive to that and, and just seeing that robbing her of life. And as a son, I, I, I'm like ferociously wanting to see healing power come to her body, right? Um, the CDC says 30 days of antibiotics for Lyme disease. That's all you get for insurance. The rest, it's on you. And so they're paying just for supplements alone, $1,000 a month. Not to mention the, the doctor visits, the, everything that she needs along the journey, right? And so there, there's this holy frustration. There's this groaning because we know the kingdom here and not yet. That tension of like, God, we know you can do it. We're trusting in you. We have hope for you to come through in this situation, your faithfulness. But you're grappling with this whole thing of like, when is it going to come? Will it come? You know, you're just being real before the Lord. And so there is that groaning that we can, can we think about in our physical bodies. I also want to talk about the other physical kind of groanings because we don't talk about those as much. Mental. The mental groaning. Some of you feel trapped in, in your own mental states. Your emotional journeys feel like there's a groaning. Gosh, this thing happened to me when I was little and I am 40 years old and still dealing with this thing, with this trauma from my family. There's a groaning in you to seek complete freedom. There's, there's a, um, an emotional groaning in you because you know what God can do and you're trying to face this, is this keeping me from a relationship? Is this keeping me from my best? Is this shackling me in different ways? There's a groaning because you know what God can do. You know that he can go to the man of the Gazarenes and in a split second free him from every demon and he'll be in his right mind. You know that it's the same Jesus. And so there's that aching and that longing to see the realization of that as well. And the, the next one I'm gonna talk about is sexual. That's right, I said sexual in church. <laughs> sexual groaning. Can we be real for a second? Can we be real for a second? I see some, a lot of teeth smiling at me. This is great. I don't know if I've seen you guys smile that big ever. You, you cannot wait for what I'm going to say about sexual. All right. There is a sexual groaning in the people of God. Did you know that? Did you know that there are people that have chosen to lay down their own sexual frustration for the glory of God? I have talked with countless people in this house that feel crazy with their emotions, their mind, their bodies, where they're, they're moving and, and feeling compelled, but they have chosen to, 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 to take all of that and lay it at the feet of Jesus time and time again. There is a, a groaning within us that is in tension with, I wanna live for God, I wanna be holy, I wanna live for Jesus in every single way. I will wait, I will be pure, I will be holy, and it's not for myself. This is actually for God. Of course it benefits me because that's who God is. But I'm actually groaning inside because of the ache and frustration and the tension of this. It's the groaning of being in our physical bodies. But we have to set our minds on the eternal. Because if we don't, we will be all consumed with the temporary groanings and we will give way. Vision purpose, eternity. So many of us are groaning as we wait for the fullness. And I'm here to tell you there is glory as you are suffering. Are you suffering in any of those areas? Are you suffering in any of those areas? Do you know this has to be a conversation in Los Angeles? People have all sorts of sexual confusion that's suffering. That's suffering. We have to be compassionate people with where people are at. They're suffering. They're groaning. But in the groaning and in the suffering, there is a glory. Can we switch the perspective that in your suffering, you are giving worship and glory to the Lord?
And I want to actually just take a moment. If that's you, where you have, have been pulled in all sorts of directions of temptation and confusion and just feel war-torn, I want to just take a moment and honor you and applaud you and thank you for continuously living yielded at the feet of Jesus. The glory of the cross is that Jesus paid for freedom from sin. By his stripes, we are healed. By his resurrection power, we are made new. Divine health and wholeness was what he paid for. And we want to see Jesus get his full reward, but there is a groaning when we are not seeing the fullness of that yet, the fullness of that glory and redemption in its completion. So number one, hope requires eternal perspective. Number two, hope is based on God's promises. Number three, hope is built on faith. What time are we at? I need to wrap. I'm close. I'm close. Hope is built on faith. Let me get my, my, my main points that I want to sit, sit on here. Let's read verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Paul's saying this hope is not a mind trick. He's tearing down that notion. Now hope is seen. The hope that is seen is not hope at all. And some of you are saying, it would be really easy for me to have hope in my career path if I could start booking some jobs. It would be really easy for me to, to have hope for a spouse if I started getting asked out on some dates and if these guys were, aren't just a bunch of freaks. It would be real easy to have hope for my financial situation if I had a fatty million-dollar check arrive in the mail. It would be real easy for me to have hope in my relationship with my sister if she actually contacted me to apologize. We're wanting to see the thing before we engage with hope. But that's not hope at all. Hope isn't about seeing what God's already provided. It's the, the very thing that is alive when I cannot see. Hope isn't about seeing what's already provided. It's the thing that's alive when I can't see it. We have to get this. This is SOS, red alert, important that we understand this. This is what we're called to, to hope, to put our trust in God when we can't see, to trust that he's working, that he's turning it for good. And in Hebrews 11, 11 verse one, it says, now faith is confidence. Some translations say the substance of what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. That's what faith is. And hope is active when you can't see. And hope is fueled by faith. That's where it comes from. Hope comes from the fueling of faith in our lives. The, the, the substance of faith, the substance of things hoped for. And so why is hope such a struggle in my life? Because I'm not feeding my hope with faith. Why am I struggling so much with faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if I'm struggling with faith, God is very clear. If you need faith, it's time to engage with the word of God at a new level. This is not a Bible school slap an answer on something. You need faith, get in the word of God. But did you know that's the truth? Engage with the spirit of God to see faith birthed. Psalm 11, 119.47, I rise before the dawn. I hope in your word. I was convicted by that. I was like, I better get up a little earlier. <laughs> I rise before the dawn. I hope in your word. So when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, when you're checked out, when you, we've been given a medicine 
for our souls. And that medicine is the word of God. It's the eating and drinking of Jesus through the word that is part of the remedy for faith to be built, which directly fuels hope in your life. So hope requires an eternal perspective. It's based on God's promises and hope is built on faith. Number four, the final one, hope activates perseverance. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we don't see, we wait with it. We wait for it with patience. If there's areas of your life where you just feel at the end of your rope, you feel like giving up, you feel like quitting, maybe you've had some thoughts even this week that you've been, we'd be embarrassed that someone close to you even knows that you've been thinking. If you get some faith in your gas tank and you start to rev the engine a little bit, you'll get the hope running. And the result is that your car can keep, keep going. You can persevere. You're not gonna be hobbling along, but you can actually thrive while you're waiting. Because patience, do you know that patience is an infusion of waiting with peace and joy? It's the fruit of hope. It's the fruit of hope. Faith will be your fuel for hope and hope brings a desire to persevere. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So I wanna end with this, ways that hope is rising in our lives. I'm learning, we're all learning. I am learning to have a heavenly, eternal perspective. I am learning to cling to God's promises. I'm learning to trust God again through every trial. I'm learning to cling to his word for the fuel of faith. Someone take a picture of that. We're learning. There's grace in the process and the pace with God. And so the crippling nights that you've had of anxiety and where your mind is crowded and where you can hardly get to sleep because you just feel so overwhelmed, these things and these thoughts will begin to cease Sometimes it will be fast, sometimes immediate, and sometimes it's a process. And hope and the confident expectation of good will begin to more and more be the result in your life. This is not meant to be a pep talk, and so I wanna give a few pastoral comments as I close here. I'm not just trying to stir you up with a few good feelings so that a few hours later, after, after being encouraged for some hope that you just go back to the same pattern of things. We're, we're here to see life changed by the, the power of the Spirit of God. And so I wanna give you some practical ways that you can go home this week. Here's the first one. When you sit down for every meal, specifically by yourself, open up a verse about hope. Read the verse of hope with the power of the Holy Spirit pray the verse, and then eat your food. Just before every meal this week, open up to a verse about hope. Let that be nourishing to you. Pray it through, and then eat your meal. Just something really practical you can do. Number two, write a list of the areas where you're lacking hope. You don't have to stay depressed in that. Just jot down some some different areas. In fact, engage with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are the areas that I feel stuck? What are the areas that I feel hopeless? And then once you've got that, take every single one and say, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say about this very thing? What's the encouragement that you have and what's the truth? Because as you meditate on the truth, that's where freedom comes. And number three, this one, this one for sure is a Sunday school answer. Memorize a verse this week. I will give you personally a sticker for memorizing a verse this week. You can have a progress chart and I will celebrate it for you. Memorize a verse this week. I was challenged. I was challenged by this because I don't usually sit down and just memorize verses, but this week, this is a good challenge for all of us. Can we, can we at least consider agreeing on this? Think about it a second, you know? Okay, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll memorize a verse this week. The reason being, the reason being that memorization is so important is because, remember we said that faith is your fuel? 
If, if the Lord has a verse that he's imprinted on you that you know, the next time that you come to a situation, he will bring it to remembrance. He can't bring it to remembrance if you don't know it. He'll bring it to remembrance and say, you need some fuel for hope. Here it is. Remember this verse that you memorized? Fuel for faith that brings hope in your life to get you moving along again. So think about memorizing a scripture, write some things down with the Lord, journal those things, pray it through, and before every meal, take a verse and and really consider these things. Consider the hope and pray it through. Sound good? All right, let's stand up. Why don't you go ahead and put your hand on your heart? God, I'm talking about hope, but we need a move of the Spirit in our lives, a deposit of true hope. Even right now, Holy Spirit, we're asking for hope to be ignited in our lives by your Spirit. And even this week, the areas that we have felt hopeless, that we would be able to yield that to you and feel replenished, to be refueled, and to be empowered by faith being ignited in our lives to see the hope restored. And so here we are. We open our lives. We open our lives, God. And say, Holy Spirit, come breathe fresh hope. Give us eternal perspective. We want to see true change. And we want to lean in to all the ways that the sons of God can be revealed. We want to lean into all the ways that we see the advancing of your kingdom, greater and greater measures of it. And we lean into the groanings and say, God, here we are. Fill us with hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.